I invite you to stand as we turn to our sermon text this morning uh, from the book of 2 Chronicles once more. As we continue to see the uh, kingship of Jehoshaphat and of his work. Uh, please stand again as we come to the reading of God's word. Again, 2 Chronicles chapter 18, beginning at verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. The king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne, and they sat at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenina, had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. Now the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encouraged the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. And he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And he said, go and prosper and they shall be delivered into your hand. So the king said to him, how many times... Shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on His right hand and His left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenina, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I return in peace. But Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the reading of the Word uh, that you've given to us uh, by your providence on this Lord's Day. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth. And in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Please be seated. As we noted last week and the weeks before, one of the great uh, sadnesses that we see in this passage is the willingness of Jehoshaphat to go along with evil. In the first chapter of the book of, uh, 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 that we looked at, chapter 17, you know, we were told that Jehoshaphat was a godly man. We saw in the works that he did of the flesh that he removed all the false idols from the land. We saw as he sent the Levites and the judges out into the nation of Judah to teach the people what God would have them to do. We also saw last week that all of these outward works that he had done were betrayed by one simple act. The sending of his son Jehoram to be married to Ahab's daughter Adaliah. All the good that he'd done was for naught. And this morning as we see Jehoshaphat once more involve himself in wicked works, one of the things that is uh, that, that kind of shouts to us is the silence of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the king of Israel, or the king of Judah. And Ahab is the king of Israel. And Jehoshaphat, it is told us, is clothed in his robes, sitting on a throne, and sitting at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all of these false prophets are coming into the land. They are coming in, uh, in front of these two kings, prophesying things that Jehoshaphat knows are evil and knows are wrong. And what does Jehoshaphat do? He kind of sits there, and smiles, takes it all in, and says nothing. And then we see in this passage that God has sent one of His own prophets, Micaiah, to speak the truth in the midst of these things. And Micaiah, standing in front of all of these false prophets, standing in front of Jehoshaphat and Ahab, speaks the very word of the living God. And only speaks that which God has revealed to him to say. And what happens to Micaiah? We're told that Micaiah, first of all, gets slugged in the face uh, by Zedekiah. You know, this isn't some kind of dainty little slap. You know, this is Zedekiah rearing back and knocking him good in the side of the face. And then what happens to God's prophet? We hear that God's prophet gets put in prison. And he doesn't just get put in prison. Right? We're told here that he is sent into solitary confinement in the basement of the prison. You know, the kind of place where they, they, they put traitors. The kind of place that they put serial killers. The worst of the worst. We're also told uh, that Micaiah was given the bread of affliction and the water of affliction. 
What do you think that means about the quality of his food? They're not even giving him just kind of water and bread. What this is telling us is they're giving him moldy bread and they're giving him probably water out of the latrine. This is some pretty awful stuff that's happening to God's prophet. And what does Jehoshaphat do? Well, again, Jehoshaphat doesn't do anything. This is, this is really a, a, a depressing story to read. Because remember, Jehoshaphat, we're told again, is a man whom has dedicated the first part of his life to godly things. Right? He's dedicated his life to getting rid of false prophets in Judah. But he doesn't seem to have much of a problem with the false prophets in Israel. They're fine as long as they stay up there. As long as I'm in Israel, I won't cause any trouble. And he kind of goes along to get along. But we see again, there's one person in this story who doesn't really care what anybody else thinks or what anybody else says. In fact, one of the more interesting things about the way that Micaiah talks to everyone is he kind of opens his speech there in uh, verse 14 by mocking Ahab and the prophets. You you can hear the sarcasm in his voice. Because remember, what had the messenger told Micaiah? The messenger said, told Micaiah, said, Look, I know you cause trouble all the time, but for once, can you please just... Just make it easy on everyone and don't speak up. Don't say anything that's going to make Ahab mad. Just go in there and just just say whatever he wants to hear. And we can all move on with our lives. And Micaiah, like I said there in verse 14, again mocks the king. And mocks the prophets. And mocks the messenger. Of course, mocking isn't always a sinful thing. You know, this is what the Lord Jesus often does with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees will, will do some crazy thing and Jesus will throw it back in their face. And again, the idea here is to show and to illustrate how wicked these false prophets, now wicked Ahab and Jehoshaphat are being. That they're willing to allow themselves to be flattered and allow themselves to be lied to. One of the, the, the stories that you, know, you often think of when you think of everybody saying the same thing even though everybody knows it's not the truth you know, is that story about you know, the emperor and his new clothes. You know, and of course you, the, the, the counselors are all telling the emperor about this wonderful set of, uh, the, of clothing that they made for him and of course you know, the, everybody knows that he's not actually wearing any clothes. But they've convinced him that these are these things. But if you really go back and read that story, the king knows, the emperor knows through the whole thing what the truth is. But he's afraid of disappointing his counselors. And then we know that the end of that story, the kind of the moral thing there is this boy, this young boy, points out that the emperor has no clothes on. Again, we see in the midst of that, you know, the main point of that story is of uh, the dangers 
of just ignoring what's in front of everyone's faces. Of being unwilling to call sin for what it is. And that's what Micaiah is willing to do here, regardless of what's going to happen to him. One of the the kind of New Testament illustrations that's easy to see in this passage is, of course, how Micaiah reacts to being slugged in the face. What what does Micaiah do when Zedekiah, son of Chenina, does what he does? He turns the other cheek. A lot of times when we hear Jesus teach stuff in the New Testament, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. Because Jesus hasn't come to teach anything new. Everything we see Jesus do, we see in the Old Testament. And again, we see this illustrated for us in 2 Chronicles 18, uh, that, 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 that Micaiah, when he is persecuted, when he is hit uh, by this false prophet, and he turns the other cheek. And, and what's the point of that? And why does Jesus tell us not to turn the other cheek? Jesus there is not saying that there are not situations where we are not to defend ourselves. You remember Jesus tells the disciples, He sends them out in Luke 22, that if they don't have a sword, that they are to go sell their cloak and buy one. And the idea there is not that so that the disciples have a neat little thing to tie to their belt to walk around with. What's a sword for? And a sword is for protection. But we also understand something else about what is being said here. What is the Christian to do when someone acts wickedly towards you? What do we teach our children? That we're not to return evil for evil. If somebody sins against you, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to sin against them back? Make it even? Of course, that's not what the Scriptures teach. That's not what Jesus teaches. That's not what any part of the Bible teaches. In fact, what do we see happen when people return evil for evil? Does that make everything equal? No, it just causes more evil, right? It causes more sin. It causes more destruction. And also, Micaiah knows in the midst of these things, what's the wisdom of causing a brawl in the midst of Ahab's court? How's that going to work out for Micaiah? It's certainly not going to work out any better than, than, than turning the other cheek does. What we see in the midst of this passage, again, is a reminder that there are consequences to standing in the truth. That there's going to be consequences for standing up against what the world says is right and is true. And that the church has to be willing to face those consequences, those temporal consequences. Because as we'll see next week, what do you think happens to Ahab and all of his people at Ramoth Gilead? I don't think we need to be rocket scientists to figure that out. Because what is Micaiah said is going to happen to Ahab and to all those who go up with him into battle at Ramoth Gilead? And we're told here that God has prophesied, has decreed that they will all die. 
And when we are dealing with those who are professing false teaching, who are teaching things that are out of accord with what the Scriptures teach, what is it that enables us to stand strong in the face of these things, even if our life is hard because of it? Well, ultimately, what does Revelation 19 teach? Revelation 19 teaches that all those who are allied against the Lord Jesus Christ will be in the lake of fire for all eternity. And one of the things that we see in Revelation 19, as in other passages of the Scriptures, is that a lot of those people thought that they had gotten away with it. In fact, that's one of the things that we see in God's giving of the third commandment. In, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. That there are many who will use the Lord's name in vain. And what does it say at the end of, of that verse? It says uh, that vengeance will come down upon them either at that moment or in due time. And that time may not be until the day of judgment. But the reality is that no matter what this world does against Uh, true Christian believers, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing really to worry about. Even if we are in the prison with Micaiah. Even if we are eating moldy bread and drinking water out of the latrine. Because at the end of the day, what does that matter in comparison to the glory of having the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as our own? What is the comparison between sitting at the throne next to Ahab versus having the blessing of having the enemies of God attack you? Again, who would you rather be in this story? Would you rather be Jehoshaphat? You know, sitting pretty in your nice clothes on a throne in Samaria? Or would you rather be Micaiah being slugged in the face and living in prison? And that's a a difficult thing uh, for us especially to think about. Because we're pretty comfortable here in Clover, South Carolina. We don't have much to fear from the government. We don't have much to fear from co-workers. We don't have much to fear from the world around us. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen to us if we stand strong in the Scripture's teaching? Somebody might unfriend us on Facebook. Somebody uh, might call us a name. But see, this is what's happening to our brothers and sisters in places like Syria and Iraq, in places like Iran and China. This is the world that they're living in. And why are they willing to face these things? Why are they willing to be struck down by the enemies of God? Because again, remember what we see Micaiah say in verse 13. Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Again, remember, he's using two different names here for God. Notice what he says there again. As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Again, that that language there of uh, of the Lord lives is central to why Micaiah is willing to go through all these things. 
Because again, he's his covenant God. And Micaiah knows what it means that God has made a promise to him. He knows what it means to rest and trust in the eternal promise that God has made to Micaiah. Again, remember what the Lord Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, we are not to fear those who can kill the body. What does Jesus say? Who are we supposed to fear? Him who can kill the body and send the soul into hell. That's whom we are to fear. Because again, what power does Ahab have over Micaiah? None, really. Right? He can kill Micaiah. But where is Micaiah going to go when Ahab kills him? He's going to go into some kind of waiting room somewhere. Is he just going to kind of go into nothingness, as most of the world believes? You see, Micaiah is willing to go through these things because he knows the reality of where it is that he's going. Remember what Jesus says to the uh, the thief on the cross. I mean, as those two thieves are reviling Jesus, we know the story of the one thief who chastises the other thief on the cross. And again, that's an amazing story to think about because these two guys are on a cross. And what are they doing? They're reviling Jesus, who's also on a cross. We see in the mighty work of the Holy Spirit who opens the hearts and the minds of the one thief and the one thief turns to his, his compatriot and say, well, wait a minute. We deserve to be here. This man has done nothing wrong. Remember what Jesus says to the the man who comes to faith on the cross. He says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is what Micaiah believes. Micaiah understands that this world is temporary. That this world is passing away. That the revilings of unbelievers mean nothing to him. That's why he's able to turn the other cheek. That's why he's able to ignore the commands of the messenger. Because he fears the Lord God. And he understands that his peace and his comfort is in what God has done for him. That He's called him out of the land of bondage, out of the land of sin, and has given to him this new heart, this new heart made with flesh. And it has given him that peace which passes all understanding. It's interesting as we look in this passage of this man Zedekiah. There's a, there's a reason why the writer of Second Chronicles tells us who his dad was. Again, when, when we give details in the Bible, we're supposed to kind of pay attention to them. And if you've read the book of First Chronicles, you're supposed to pick up on this, right? This is kind of like a, a clue. And if you go back and you look at who Chenina was, well, in First Chronicles chapter 7, verse 6 and 10, it tells us that the sons of Benjamin were Bela, Becher, and Jediel, three in all. The son of Jediah was Bilhan, and the sons of Bilhan were Jeush, Benjamin, Ehud, Chenina, Zethan, Tarshish, and Ashashar. Well, wait a minute. Where is the tribe of Benjamin? 
Is the tribe of Benjamin a northern tribe or is it a southern tribe? Well, again, if we've been reading First and Second Chronicles, we would know that Benjamin is a tribe of the south. Right? Judah and Benjamin are the faithful tribes. You know, the tribes of the north are the ones that have apostatized with uh, Jeroboam and, and with the other kings of Israel. But here we're told Zedekiah is the one who slugs Micaiah in the face. So not only is he allied with the evil one, he's also an apostate. He's also one who had the promises of God given to him at birth. One who was raised in the right kingdom. Right? Who was raised in the right church. Who was raised being taught the right things. But here we're told that Zedekiah, son of Tenina, is now a false prophet of Ahab. And how has he gotten himself in this position? Right? How has he come to this place in his life where he is serving the northern king as a Benjamite? You can think about how he may have come to this position. How has Jehoshaphat come to be quiet while God is blasphemed? Remember what we read there in the first verse of 2 Chronicles 18. It says, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. And by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. Again, Zedekiah had everything. He had been taught all the right things. He had been raised in the right way. But where is he in his life? He's given himself over to Satan. He's given himself over to the wicked one. He's given himself over to lies, to wickednesses. And why is that? Because he's comfortable in the northern kingdom. He likes the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom allows him to live in sin, allows him to live in the way that he wants to live, rather than in the way that the Word of God has commanded that he should live. And it's amazing when you look at apostates in the history of the church, even today. It's amazing how many of them started out well. But at some point in their life, usually when they were younger, were given an opportunity to choose which master they were going to serve. And they kind of came to that fork in the road. And to the left, they saw the pleasure palaces, they saw the riches, they saw the wonders, they, they saw all the fun, all the, all the glories that the world had to offer. And they looked to the right, and what did they see? They saw the struggles of the Christian life. They saw the anguish and pain that comes from following the Lord Jesus. They saw the trials that Jesus promised to His disciples. Remember in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says He's beginning to send out His disciples again. What does He tell them is going to happen to them? He tells them that they're going to go to prison. He tells them that they're going to get beaten. He tells them that people are going to kill them for the preaching of the Gospel. And I really think it was at that moment that the wheels started to turn in the head of Judas. 
Because remember, what did Judas want out of Jesus? Judas wanted Jesus to be King David. Judas wanted Jesus to reestablish the old Israelite kingdom and to get rid of the Romans. And he thought that Jesus was his ticket to wealth and to power. But again, what made the other disciples turn and go the other way? To, to, to turn to the right at that fork in the road. Remember, what does Peter, Peter say to Jesus in John chapter 6? After all the disciples have left, after all of those who love the riches and the blessings of the feeding of the 5,000, after they'd all taken off, and Jesus turns around and says, well, why are you still here? What does, John, what does Peter say to Jesus? Where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Again, this is the message that all Christians, all those who claim the name of Christ, need to, to, to come to grips with, to understand within themselves. Again, what is our choice this day? You know, we often point you know, to Joshua 24 and they, the call of, uh, of, of, of Joshua as they make the covenant at Shechem. And of course we know these verses very well. You know, Joshua says, as for me and my house, what, what are we going to do? And we're going to serve the Lord. And he covenants himself, the Lord. He, he makes a promise to the Lord that this is what they are going to do. Yet, what does the rest of Israel do? In... 17 or 18 verses in Judges chapter 1. They've already given themselves over to the world. Already given themselves over to the pleasures of Palestine. Already given themselves over to Molech and to the wicked gods of the world. And who are the faithful ones? Well, those who come from the house of Joshua. And why are they faithful? Not because they've placed their faith in Joshua. But they placed their faith in the God to whom Joshua had pledged himself. And so brothers and sisters, as we close our time this morning in this passage, this is a, a, a very serious question we have to ask our own hearts. Again, it's easy to say with the mouth, I believe in Jesus and I want the pleasures of heaven. But are we going to be like Jehoshaphat and just kind of sit idly by while the world continues in this blasphemy? Kind of sit idly by and allow the world to continue in its wickednesses? And when challenged by the world, are we going to retreat into our kind of quiet places and say, well, let the world deal with the world and, and, and we'll kind of hide here and wait for Jesus to come back? And what do we see the apostles do? What do we see the, the, the godly prophets do? What do we see the command of the Lord Jesus to do? Right? Matthew 28 tells us that Jesus says to go out unto the world, proclaiming Christ and crucified, you know, discipling the nations, teaching them of the things of Christ. And we see in the book of Acts the consequences of that. Are we willing to face those consequences? Are we willing to stand in the face of a culture which has completely turned its, 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 its eyes away from the Lord and live in accordance with the Scriptures? 
Again, this, this is not a, uh, a minor question. For again, we see in this passage the consequences of doing so. And we have to believe and rest and trust and find our strength in the promise that we have in our Savior. That all those who rest and trust in Him, what is their destination? And it's not the things of this life. It's not a big house. It's not wealth. It's not good food. It's not uh, the, the, these comforts. And the great comfort of the Christian is what comes next. In the beauty of the heavenly places. The beauty of resting with the Lord God forever and ever. Rejoicing in His holiness and His righteousness. These are the beautiful things that we must be seeking. And we must have our hope and our peace and our comfort in. Regardless of what your friends might say. Regardless of what your co-workers might say. Regardless of what this world might do. For again, our blessing is in what we see here in Micaiah. As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks.